0: Coming up on the podcast, I'm hopping off the Lakers train as I do not think they will win the West any longer. Plus, what's going on in Milwaukee? We'll talk about that coming up on the gray area. All right, we'll get to basketball in just a second, but. I'm glad I pushed this off, too, now in terms of recording this podcast because we have breaking news out of the NFL right as I'm recording this podcast. April 27th on a Thursday, it is draft night in the NFL, and before we get to the draft, the Ravens and Lamar Jackson are in agreement on a five-year deal. According to Josina Anderson of CBS Sports, it's worth $260 million with $185 million in guarantees. Of course, you want to know how that stacks up to Jalen Hurts. His deal was five years, 255, million, with 178 million guaranteed. And to me, this comes as no surprise. Now, let's go back to the Sunday when we heard that Odell Beckham Jr. was going to Baltimore. That Thursday, because I do a radio show Monday through Thursday night, that Thursday, I went off the air thinking that Lamar was never going to take another snap in a Baltimore Ravens uniform, and that Monday, I came in and said, this is getting Lamar back to the negotiating table, and, I, and it's been Lamar going back to Baltimore ever since. Because you don't bring in a guy like Odell Beckham Jr., a veteran, for the kind of money that you gave him with the accomplishments that he's had in his career to run him out there with Tyler Huntley. That's just not how that works. That's this, this not how this works. We'll call it like it is. This was something to make Lamar Jackson happy because the Ravens understood that they would sink into irrelevance if they let Lamar Jackson get away. You can talk about the injuries... You can try to type him as a guy who can't throw from the pocket. Even though every scindilla of data will tell you otherwise. You can do a lot of things. Rationalize your way to say, oh, he wants too much money. I'll tell you what. The Ravens will pay anything for a dude that wins three-fourths of his games. I think the percentage is around 73-point-something. Basically, Lamar Jackson has won 75% of his games since he became a starter. And that's what's about in the NFL, is winning games. If you don't win games, we don't give a rip about you. Unless you're the Dallas Cowboys. Unless you're the Cowboys. If you're not winning games, we don't care. And that is every NFL team's worst nightmare is not being cared about. You can't be average at quarterback in this league these days. These teams are too good, especially in the AFC where you have to go up against Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Herbert, and now Aaron Rodgers, Trevor Lawrence. You can't be average or below average of quarterback, and that's what the Ravens were going to be. Tyler Huntley is not an approximation of Lamar Jackson. He's just not. He's a dude that can run around, throw a little bit, but their offense is severely limited with him at quarterback compared to Lamar Jackson. It's just not the same. And to avoid sinking into that chasm of nothingness, where you might win five, maybe six games with the extra game, the Ravens said, let's pay him like a quarterback of his caliber should be paid. An MVP, a guy that has won 75% of his starts, and a dude who takes your offense over the top. You talk about some of the blown leads that the Baltimore Ravens had last year. A lot of those were the were due to the fact that they couldn't stop anybody. You know who has no bearing on that? Lamar Jackson. It's just that simple. And what happened was, Lamar saw he didn't really have a market outside of Baltimore, the Ravens saw they weren't really in a good position without Lamar. So you meet in the middle. $260 million contract. Highest paid player in NFL history. Lamar backs off of the guaranteed contract that he wanted. Instead, he gets himself 185 guaranteed. Goodbye, night. that's all she wrote. And now the Ravens are going to be in the discussion... Of where they lie in the hierarchy of the AFC. I'll tell you what I think. I would project them to win the AFC North right now. Pre draft, I think they win the AFC North. I don't trust Cincinnati's defense. They have no corners, both of their safeties left in free agency. Jesse Bates is a Falcon, Von Bell is a Panther. I know they have protection for Burrow and they still have all those weapons great can they stop anybody I don't know that and Baltimore always plays them tough even with Tyler Huntley a quarterback so I'm telling you right now I think Baltimore wins the AFC West and goes into the NFL playoffs the AFC playoffs as a two seed I think of the four projected division winners they'd be the two And depending on what they get in the draft, I wouldn't be shocked if they were the one. That's how much having Lamar Jackson there does for you. And I know all the Ravens fans were saying, oh, well, if Lamar wants a guaranteed contract, you know what? Let him go find it somewhere else. We'll be just fine. No, you were not going to be, you dummies. No, you weren't. You would have run Tyler Huntley out there, and at best, you would have won six games. That's how much Lamar Jackson means That's what having an elite quarterback does for you in the NFL these days. The Chiefs are a different story without Pat Mahomes. Gardner Minshew, we found out, was no approximation of Jalen Hurts. The Eagles stumbled to the finish line the regular season when they lost Jalen Hurts. Just look at the Eagles. There's Exhibit A right there. If you think, "Uh, maybe we can get away with not paying. No, you can't. No, you can't. Not everybody has the schematics and the system of the 49ers to just throw any quarterback in there and still win games. It doesn't work like that. The 49ers are the outlier. Even McVay's system couldn't save the Rams. I know there's a lot wrong with them outside of their quarterback. I get it. But when you've got a left tackle in place, you're planning on rebuilding the receiving core, a star corner, two pretty good safeties and an up-and-coming one, a middle linebacker who might be top three in the league at that position, got to take care of your quarterback. And by the way, to all those people who say you can't negotiate a contract without an agent, I think the Ravens are Exhibit A. Roquan Smith re- re- negotiated his contract without an agent. And now here's Lamar doing it. Lamar was never going to get a fully guaranteed contract. We all know that. In the, in the mon- With the money that he was looking for, he wasn't going to get a fully guaranteed contract. And the two sides knew We're better off with each other than without, so let's meet in the middle here and get this you-know-what done. And they did, and I think Baltimore is going to have a very successful season. Okay, now to the NBA playoffs. This makes me sad to say, but, I'm gonna, but i am I got to say it, because we're fair and impartial here. I think the Lakers are done. Not done is in the sense I don't think they'll get out of the first round. I think they'll get out of the first round. I mean, they went, they went up 3-1 on Memphis. They can't lose three in a row, and I don't think they will. I think they're going to get out of the first round. But in terms of winning the Western Conference, like I picked them to do at the beginning of the playoffs, I think that ship has sailed. I think the Golden State Warriors, despite all of their struggles on the road during the regular season, despite them sometimes not being locked in defensively, despite sometimes their tendencies, which have lessened over the years, but are still there, to self-destruct with turnovers, despite all that. I think they're going back to the finals. And I'm going to tell you why. Because there's there was a huge development in the Western Conference over the couple, last couple of days that made me realize the Warriors are the best team in the West right now. I really think they are. Here's why. We'll start with what's going on around them in terms of their competition. And we'll start with my Lakers. This strategy that the role players, Anthony Davis included in this one, are employing is the most unsustainable way of playing in the NBA. And it's the most, it's the most obviously unsustainable one. The Lakers for two nights in a row have come out and asked the 38 year old in his 20th season, having been to 10 NBA finals, having played the most minutes of anybody ever, yo, can you come rescue us again? On a night where LeBron just didn't have it. He didn't have it on Wednesday. 5 for 17 from the field, 1 for 9 from 3. He wasn't good. AD was good. Finally took the bull by the horns and said, I can be the number one. Let's see if he can do it again. Let's see if he does it consistently. But they got nothing from anybody else. I know Austin Reeves scored in double figures. Cool. He was, he was what, four for 13? You look at the Lakers up and down. Vanderbilt is doing his thing. He's contributed more offensively the last couple of games, but they're getting nothing from the bench. Malik Beasley has just forgotten how to shoot and play defense as a 3 and D player. So he's been basically useless. He went from starter to losing his starting job to Austin Reeves, to not being in the rotation. Troy Brown Jr. has hasn't hit a three-pointer in two months. And if he's not hitting threes, he's useless. Winnie and Gabriel is terrible. And Hachimura, who has been fine in spots, just can't consistently show up. I think it's unrealistic to expect 17 to 20 point points per game In the postseason from Ruby Hatchamore. I think he's proven that. And then even though D'Lo has turned in some nice stat lines at at the end of games. And D'Lo's been fine. And yes, I skipped over Schroeder. Because don't get me started with Dennis Schroeder. But D'Lo likes to show up in spots. And I think more so than any of the guys that I mentioned, D'Lo has to be a consistent scorer of the basketball throughout an entire game, to be their third scorer. I know Austin Reeves has kind of filled that spot, but not really, because Austin Reeves still has his limitations. But the Lakers have to rely on D'Lo and AD when LeBron's off the floor. And they have sputtered without LeBron on the floor. Just sputtered. And when you're asking that of a guy that's thirty eight years old in year twenty, I don't think that's sustainable. I think it's good enough to get over Memphis. I think they'll I think they'll beat Memphis in game six on Friday night, back in LA. I think they'll beat Memphis, close out the Grizzlies. Bye bye, Dylan Brooks, have fun in Houston. Where you're gonna play next year. Houston, Detroit, one of those kind of teams. Not a contender. But I think in the second round when they have to play presumably Golden State, I think that's going to be a huge disadvantage if they don't get anything from anybody else. So that's the Lakers side of things. Um, The the Nuggets are the one in the West. They just closed out Minnesota. Denver's great offensively when everybody's connected together when Jokic is drawing double teams and spraying it out to anybody else on the floor, whether it be Murray doing his thing, Michael Porter doing his thing as a supplementary piece of those two, Green in the corner hitting threes, Bruce Brown off the bench, uh, KCP. They're a really good offensive team. The matchup I'm concerned about with the Warriors is they don't defend. At all. They ain't as bad as the Kings, but they're not good. Jokic never has been much of a defender just because he's a little bit slower, not very agile. Murray doesn't play defense at all, and Porter doesn't even know what defense is. So, if the Lakers, so to speak, because I don't think Denver's getting past the conference finals. Just their inability to defend. Whether they play the Lakers or the Warriors in the conference finals, I just don't see them getting past them. They don't match up well with LeBron. And AD versus Jokic, quite frankly, I'd take AD. If I'm going to be completely honest with you. The Warriors side of things, Golden State's vanquished them in the playoffs before. I don't see anything changing there. They match up a little bit better with Golden State. Because Looney isn't as versatile of a big as AD is. Which, defending in the post, is going to be their problem with a skilled big. Don't call Carl Anthony Towns a skilled big. That's a dude that's one that likes to play like he's 6'6". And Gobert, yeah, sure. So, that's the problem with the Nuggets. And then there's Phoenix, who also advanced out of the first round. They'll play Denver in the second round. Phoenix seems really daunting. You got KD... You got Book, and you got CP3. And nothing else. The Suns are the most top-heavy team I've ever seen in my life. And that includes the Brooklyn Nets when they tried to bring over KD. I mean, not KD. Um, Paul Pierce, KG, all those guys from Boston. I think Jason Terry was in there as well. That was a top-heavy team. KD, Kyrie, and James Harden was a top-heavy team. This is an even more top MVC. They get nothing from their bench. DeAndre Ayton in spurts. He's almost their version of D'Angelo Russell in the way that he'll just show up when he wants to and then disappear. And in game number five, the closeout game against the Clippers, they got nothing from Torrey Craig. They're literally one bad Torrey Craig night away from potentially falling down 2-0 in a series. If Torrey Craig... Just one night, you're down 2-0. Game's going back to Phoenix. Series is going back to Phoenix for Game Three. Torrey Craig's been balling. You, I know you lost the first two games on the road of a series. Say Denver next next uh, series. Torrey Craig's given you 14. He's given you 16 in Game Two, even though you lost both games. You are one Torrey Craig old, get bad game away from falling down 3-0. Yikes. And, but that's the Phoenix Suns predicament right now. They get nothing from their bench, and they only really get something from three guys. And those three guys are all in the top ten in minutes played per game in the championship game. I mean, in the playoffs. And that includes KD, who I believe is number two. He might be number one. That includes KD, who has a history with hamstrings, knees, and a torn Achilles. That includes CP3, whose hamstrings always give out late in the playoffs. And Book, who also has a hamstring problem from time to time. Either they're going to burn out, which is the most likely scenario. Either they're going to burn out or somebody's going to get hurt. They're playing too many minutes. KD and Book are both averaging, I believe, 41, 42 points a game. Unsustainable. Chris Paul is up there in the 38 to 40 range. He's 36 years old and declining rapidly it's unsustainable. And when you go through all of that, that leaves the Golden State Warriors. It that that's what you you're left with the Warriors. And if Golden State just does Golden State things, hit big shots, win the three-point battle like they did last night against Sacramento, that being Wednesday night, and defend at somewhat of a high level, Golden State's going to go back to the NBA Finals. Remember this, Golden State is the only team that hasn't messed something up late in games in the postseason. Every other team we've seen in one way or another collapse. Denver's blown a lead to Minnesota that extended the series to Game 5. Look in the East, Milwaukee, got closed out by Miami because they lost back-to-back games in which they couldn't finish games out. Ble- blowing leads in the fourth quarter. I think one was like seven points in game four, and then in game five it was a double-digit lead that allowed Miami to come back, force the game into overtime, and ultimately eliminate the Bucks. Who were my picks to go to the finals out of the Eastern Conference? Then you have Boston for two games in a row have allowed Atlanta to stay in it. And it ended up in game five with Trey Young hitting a logo shot to extend the series and get the series back to Atlanta for a game six. I mean, there were six or seven Boston mistakes in the last two and a half, three minutes that allowed Atlanta to crawl back into that game and then win it. Just unfathomable basketball errors. The Lakers have not always executed in the fourth quarter. It's just been LeBron being LeBron. Golden State's the only team that hasn't messed something up in the fourth quarter. And that's why I think Golden State's going back to the finals. There are veteran teams in this postseason still left. The Nuggets are not young. Baltimore, I mean Baltimore, Boston is not young But they're also not old. Miami, I think, is just too limited. The Lakers are too limited. Phoenix is too top-heavy. That just leaves the Golden State Warriors as the team without a direct limitation because of their roster and a team that, in conjunction with its roster and coaching, has not made catastrophic errors in the fourth quarter and showing a tendency to do that. Now, that doesn't mean they've never turned the ball over. That doesn't mean they've never blown a coverage in the fourth quarter. But in crunch time, they are the most locked-in, cohesive team left in the NBA playoffs. And that's, that's why I think they're going back to the finals. Because of that right there. Y'all may want to see this Warriors dynasty, and I'm telling you, I don't think we're there just yet. It's been a it's been an up and down season for them. Injuries, Wiggins had to leave. They've never really figured out how to be great defensively. Situations with Draymond. But they're together at the right time. They're in 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 tune with their coach. And I'm telling you, the only team that could keep Golden State out of the out of the NBA finals, I believe is the Lakers. And right now, the Lakers have a consistency problem with a lot of guys. They're the only team that can keep going State out, but they've got to figure that out. Otherwise, you're seeing the Warriors back in the NBA Finals come June 1st. Now, Milwaukee got closed out. One of the teams that I just mentioned that was, that was blowing leads. Milwaukee got blown out in a very interesting way. Blown out in the fourth quarter. Exited out of the playoffs. Miami, I believe, is the eighth? eighth seed to beat a one. First play-in team to win a series. Remember, the play-in tournament is relatively new. This was a post-COVID thing, so not a whole, whole lot. But nevertheless, they're the first team that had to go the play-in route to win a playoff series. And now the Bucks are in a very, very tough place. I talked about this on my radio show the other day. It was, yeah, it was Tuesday, I believe, is when we talked about this. I think this run for this iteration of the Milwaukee Bucks is over. There's changes coming. Number one, the Milwaukee Bucks came into this season as the oldest team in the NFL, in the NBA. 29.8 was the average age. That's old. Giannis is 28 years old, but the rest of the guys, Middleton, I believe, is in his 30s. Drew Holiday is 31. Ingles is, is an older guy. Brooke Lopez, even though he was great, runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year, he's old too. And first through the fourth quarter, for first through third quarter, these old guys can still play. Old, but these Milwaukee Bucks are old and injured. Chris Middleton has missed significant time the last two years. Brooke Lopez, I believe, had a back surgery last offseason, which delayed his season debut this year. Giannis is coming off of injuries. Drew Holiday has been nicked up from time to time. These These guys are not just old and full of mileage. They're old and creaky. And you saw with the Milwaukee Bucks over the course of this this series with the Miami Heat, fourth quarter comes, middle of the fourth quarter comes. They started to leak oil. And the Heat, a young, spry, but limited team, was able to take advantage. In game five, Milwaukee outscored Miami by 10 in the third quarter. 33 to 23. They were up by 16 going into quarter number four at home. Miami outscores them 32 to 16 in the fourth quarter and then 10 to eight in overtime. They just couldn't close out the game. Game four, the 56 point performance from Jimmy Butler. Milwaukee. I love how this happens. Milwaukee outscores Miami 32 to 28 in the third quarter. If you look at the flow chart, they were leading by nine, hovering around double digits at one point 98 to 85. The Bucs are up 98 to 85 with nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter the Heat outscore Milwaukee 41 to 25 even if you're not perpetually injured when you get older it's just like it's like a car sometimes when a car gets older it requires more gas to get places and the gas tank just empties quicker that's what's happened with the Milwaukee Bucks it used to be, come the middle of the fourth quarter, they were still as physical and as spry as they were in the second. That's how they were in the NBA Finals when they took down Phoenix two years ago. But age is a very interesting concept in how just how fast it can sneak up on you. And that's why I believe this is the final run for this iteration of the Milwaukee Bucks. There's changes coming. I don't know if Middleton's back next year. I think you keep Holiday just because Holiday is such a great point guard, defender of the perimeter, and he's not as injured. He doesn't get injured nearly as much as Chris Middleton does. I think you keep him, particularly because he can score on all three levels because he is a much-improved three-point shooter over the course of his career. But I think Middleton's gone. I'm interested to see if they retain Mike Budenholzer. I really, really am. This is a guy who hit a ceiling with Atlanta because he couldn't get past LeBron. They fired him, he went to Milwaukee. They were ready to fire him and then he won a championship. Y'all remember that? Two years ago, they were ready to fire Mike Butenholzer and then the Bucks went on a run and won a, and won a finals. They're like, well, we gotta keep him now. Last year you had the Chris Middleton injury we get it. Boston probably was a better team anyway. So you get a pass for that. This year, what happened is inexcusable. Because not only did you lose to an eight-seed, not only did you get gentlemen swept by an eight-seed, but your fourth quarter collapses were so bad. This is the kind of thing that makes owners and GMs blow the blow the whole situation up. The Clippers were just outmanned by the Phoenix Suns. But if the Clippers were blowing leads like this with Kawhi and PG playing, if they still were blowing leads and couldn't get out of the first round, there would be no question whether or not Steve Ballman was blowing that, that team up. I don't know if you blow the whole team up with Milwaukee. I think you try to just get a little bit more pieces around Giannis and keep Drew Holiday Grayson Allen has turned himself into a more than capable NBA player. Things I never thought I would say in my life. Lopez, I think you can run it back with him for one more year. Bobby Portis is fine, but limited. But you've got to get a lot of young guys out there. Jordan Nuora needs needs to play more. This whole relying on Joe Ingles thing is not going to work over the course of an entire season. I don't think it is. Philly's getting younger. Boston has a lot of guys in their physical prime, and they're good at maneuverability in terms of their roster. Milwaukee now is, for the first time, in this era where they're contending, now is forced to figure out how can we remaneuver this roster, get a little bit younger, and still compete. It's a tough challenge. I know it is. The Lakers had to do it to get to a point where they could compete for the playoffs this year, and they did do it. It's hard to do, it's hard to scale which kind of players, what kind of trades to make, how to move off a certain guy, and then you throw in the salary cap, but you're gonna have to try. Because this team doesn't have it in the fourth quarter of the playoffs anymore. Coupled with the coaching of Mike Budenholzer, which also was questionable in the fourth quarters of games four and five. They got a title out of this, but they peaked two years ago, physically and in terms of their accomplishments. That was it. This this is it. Go get some more shooters. Go get a couple more 3 and D guys. You can still compete in the Eastern Conference because you're still still going to be good in the Eastern Conference. Cleveland has some roster situations to figure out. I don't think they run it back with Jared Allen and Nevin Mobley, which means they're going to trade Jared Allen. And they've probably got to get some more shooters and get some more guards that aren't undersized. New York is great, but they're limited offensively as well. Julius Randle, they can't find consistency with them you're still going to be in the top four of the Eastern Conference with Giannis Holiday and one more year of Lopez. I believe that. But if your goal is to get back to the NBA Finals, which it should be, not a not a second-round exit, because right now, going into next season, you're not better than Philly. And you're certainly not better than Boston. And right now, I don't know if the Bucs are going to be able to make those moves to continue to be better than Philly and Boston. So that's why I think this run of this iteration of the Bucs is officially over. It It was a good one. They got a championship out of it. And now it's over. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Gray Area Podcast. The NFL Draft is about an hour and 45 minutes away from happening as I get off recording this. We'll recap the draft in next week's episode. Until then, God bless, keep cool, and we will talk to you next week on The Gray Area. This has been The The Gray Area Podcast, presented by Anchor.